The Toby Gribbon Show. Highlights. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ron Sexsmith is a celebrated singer-songwriter with a career spanning over three decades. He's released 17 albums to date, with his latest album, The Vivian Line, featuring 12 new songs, all written and performed by Ron, and the album was recorded in Nashville with producer Brad Jones, who also played bass on three of Ron's earlier albums. And Ron joins us now. How are you today? I'm, I'm fine, how are you? I'm brilliant, thank you. So this new album, The Vivian Line, it was actually named after a rural route near your home, right? That's true, yes. So what was the significance of that location? You know, I'm always trying to find a title for an album, you know, that doesn't single out a particular song, you know. And uh, when my wife and I moved to uh, this new town of Stratford, Ontario, you know, whenever we, you know, whenever we were coming here from Toronto, we'd, we'd end up on this um, Vivian line. Which, yeah. which which is just you know minutes away from where we live and and whenever we would head out on the road we would jump on the Vivian line and it would dump us out on the highway or the main road so for me it was kind of like a you know a portal to to and from my old life you know um which wasn't always that happy to this new life where we're both um I don't know we both feel we've been given like a second chance or something so it just sort of meant that to me um and I just was intrigued because I didn't know who Vivian was and and all that. What do you think is the most significant difference between your life in Toronto and your new life in Stratford? Well, Toronto, towards the end, uh, it it wasn't a very happy place for us, you know. I mean, we, we couldn't afford a house, so we were just renting, so we felt very insecure, you know, that if our landlord dies, uh, you know, what happens to us and all this yeah. kind of and um and i was starting to feel like this sort of old guy you know walking around uh go to these bars i used to go to and i wouldn't know anybody anymore um it, the scene had changed basically and i felt a bit like a ghost or something and uh and we had our problems as well and and i just think um coming here we sort of got us we just we became closer i think and we met all these amazing people and uh so it's just been a a good thing and i'd never and we own a house now which i never thought would ever happen uh but we could you know because we, we could afford one here and um and it's just been and also the the, the effect it's had on me just in terms of 
nature, which I never had in Toronto. But now I walk along the river every day and there's swans and, you know, we have bunnies in our yard and there's an owl that lives in one of our trees. And so it's like this whole other Beatrix Potter kind of existence, you know. So You describe it as an escape from your old life in Toronto. Yeah. Is it very much an escape? Do you feel like you're free now? Yeah, we do. That's a good way of putting it, you know, because, yeah, I guess we hadn't felt free in a long time. And, and we we just, even during COVID, it was a really nice place to be because yeah. I could still walk around the river and we were bubbling with a, with our close friends here and helped us get through it. Um, it's just a whole different vibe, a much slower pace than Toronto. I mean, Toronto was, I lived there 30 years in Toronto and it was a really great place for the uh, for me for a long time and then uh, towards the end it was sort of running on fumes you know i was still telling myself it was a great place you know but it didn't feel that way so yeah so for the new album the vivian line what can we expect from it musically you know anyone who has you know any of my records it's kind of an extension you know i always try to write songs that are melodic and are concise and have thoughtful lyrics you know that's i mean that's kind of my sort of stock and trade i guess but i think um you know with this record it really came together in a beautiful way I, I really love brad's production i think he got a good vocal out of me um you know i'm proud of all the songs on all all of my records but i'm not always proud of my singing or the production and stuff but i think with this one it just really uh it yeah it all came together so how did your collaboration with brad jones actually come about well as you said earlier he played on some of my uh first records and i always thought he was an incredible bass player um i i think i knew he was a producer but for some reason i was always working with somebody else and i sort of lost touch with him and uh during the pandemic i stumbled upon an interview with him on, on uh in some recording magazine and the interviewer was asking him some questions about different albums that he played on and and one of them was my second album and he said such nice things you know and uh, and I was like, oh, that's I always liked Brad, and so I just sent him an email saying, hey, I read this interview, and and uh, you know, and as it turned turned out, he still he was still in the same recording studio in Nashville that I'd visited once back in the nineties. So I thought, and I don't know, I had these songs, and he he seemed interested to hear them, and so I just went and demoed them, and it just kind of started like that. I just saw some, he said some nice things about me online, and and I just forgotten how much I enjoyed playing with him all those years ago um, and I was and I knew you know because I knew some of the records that he had produced and so I knew he was good but I was I actually wasn't really prepared for how good he actually is like he did all the arrangements all the string and you know woodwind arrangements and all that so he's just really very capable person and were you expecting it to turn out this good I mean did you always know that with Brad at the helm it was going to turn out great well I was hoping with every new producer you're always there's always a bit of you know trepidation that you're going to butt heads about stuff or you know and you know even in the start when I was when we were talking about the songs there were certain songs that he didn't want to do that I really wanted to do and vice versa um but but when we got down there and started messing around with the songs um you know I think some of the ones that he wasn't sure about he started to understand why I I like them or whatever and and there's a few that I I didn't think would work actually one of them was Diamond Wave because that was such an old song it was the only old song out of the batch 
and I didn't. I just put it on there because I'd been playing it around the house lately. And he thought, no, no, we got to do Diamond Wave because I think that's a that could be a single or something. And I wasn't so sure, but I'm really glad we we did that one. Um, so it's just you know it it, it sort of I knew it was going to be good. Or at least I I you know I felt that. But I I was uh, when I was hearing things coming through the speakers, I was really blown away at how you know he brought in this amazing drummer, so everything felt really good, like the grooves and stuff. So I, I just uh, and then. Also, the funny thing is, you know, being in Nashville, because we weren't allowed to travel to America for the longest time because of the pandemic. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it opened up. We had this little window of time where we were able to go down there, make the record and come home. And as soon as we came home, everything closed down again. So it really was uh, kind of fateful, I guess you could say. You know. And being in Nashville, does that influence the music at all? Does it improve it or would it have sounded exactly the same as if you were to record it back home? Well, it certainly didn't influence, um, you know, the writing of the songs. And I, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, there might be one moment of sort of a that has a country kind of vibe. Nashville's changed so much too. You know, there's so many musicians that live here, like rock musicians and all that kind of stuff. And um, it was just, it was weird though because I, like I said, I visited his recording studio in the '90s, and it was. It was in this kind of sketchy neighborhood, you know, for these old, you know, warehouses and things. Like that. <laughs> but in since I've been back there, I mean, it's turned into the real, the the real hip part of Nashville, called Berry, Berry Hill, where all these restaurants and all, a lot of the people who used to be on Music Row moved their their offices to Berry Hill, and so it's sort of he stayed there. His studio is exactly the same, but it's sort of been changed all around him, and it's kind of the place where everybody wants to be now in Nashville. So. Um, so it didn't, and we were working inside. And we didn't see much daylight, so the weather, we could have been in any city on earth, actually. Did you soak up a bit of the culture while you were there? Maybe try some hot chicken. <laughs> oh yeah, we had some great food. I mean, in Berry Hill, where where we worked. I couldn't believe the quality of the food around. The restaurants were amazing. I mean, the only sort of cultural thing we did is uh, one night, uh, the songwriter Jason Isbell invited us to see him play at the Ryman. So we went to the, you know, the original Grand Ole Opry and saw Jason. Um, but we were working every day. We didn't have any days off. And then uh, on the last day before we went home, my manager threw a party for me at the studio. And so all these people that I hadn't seen in ages came out from Nashville you know, to say hi and have have a few drinks and stuff. So that was that was really special. Yeah. This album, the Vivian Lane, is your seventeenth album. So what is it that inspires you to keep making music for so long? Well, oftentimes I don't want to make records anymore, and then what happens is I start getting more ideas, and then I, you know what I mean, and I'm grateful to have ideas. Um, and then it's just like I get excited again, and then and then I, I with this record I, I hadn't been writing. I mean. I put out an album in 2020. I didn't write a single song that year. And then all of a sudden, in early 2021, I had all these song ideas coming to me. And I didn't even know whether or not the record label still wanted me, you know, and and if they wanted another album or who would pay for it and all that kind of stuff. But they did. And and so so it all came together really fast because, like I say, I, I wrote these most of these in the early 2021. And then we recorded it in, in the fall of 2021. And there was a few... By that time I had a few new songs and so it was uh yeah so I, I guess it's just what I do you know I mean uh, I go for a walk and then all of a sudden I come home and I have a melody in my head and I have to sort of I have to sort of notice it and uh, see if it's worth uh, 
pursuing. Yeah. Do you ever worry that your inspiration might just run out one day? Or do you think it will always be there? I don't worry about it anymore, but I used to worry about it. And I was always very, um, especially, you know, when I first, when my first album came out in 95 and um, the press were saying all these nice things. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at Burrow.com ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And I was really, you know, everyone kept telling me about the dreaded uh, sophomore slump, you know? And I was like, yeah, I want to make sure my second album is good. And and so I, I had started writing songs for my second album even before the first album came out. So by the time, it, you know, when it was time to record, I had like about 35 songs or something. So um, so I've always tried to keep to sort of stockpile songs and keep ahead of myself. I don't do that anymore, but I used to worry that, yeah, I would uh, it would be time to make a record and I didn't have any, any decent songs. So with your first album being praised in the way it was, I guess most people would view it as a good thing because it's good to have your album praised, but was it kind of annoying in the way that it did put pressure on you for your second album? Well, it was mostly a good thing because I didn't have a lot of sales. So, you know, if you if you have no sales and no good press and it's sort of... So <laughs> least I had all these, you know, uh, people saying nice things that I could go to the label and say, look, I'm not crazy. Look, people really like this record. If You know, it's just most people haven't heard it yet. And, um, you know, and then, of course, what happened was, you know, in the December of 1995, Elvis Costello held it up on a magazine. And, and that changed everything for me because up, up to that point, it hadn't been released outside of North America. And at the label was about to drop me because of my record did not do well and they didn't like it and they didn't care about the reviews or anything.
anything. But when Elvis Costello did that, they decided, oh, I see, we need to release this over in the UK and Australia and all these places. And that's where I found my audience. And that kind of, that thing, the one thing that Elvis did sort of saved my whole career, I, I think. And uh, and then all along, you know, because I've, I've had a few albums that did pretty well or that sold well, but but for the most part, I haven't. And so I've, I've kind of been building this sort of following that's been kind of word of mouth and based on kind of, you know, the, the press, which for the most part has been fairly positive, you know. So when you've had so many albums over the years, how do you decide what you're going to perform live in some of your shows? Is it your favourites or is it the ones that did do well? Yeah, it's it's hard actually. I find because um, I don't, you know, I I don't want to play like you know three hour shows or two hour. You know what I mean? So I try <laughs> to play, I try to play like seventy five to ninety minutes, and so for me, obviously, because of the new album, I want to do a bunch from that. So I'm, I think I'm doing like six or seven from the new record. And then the rest of it, for me, it's just a second guessing what people might want to hear and, and also what, what I may want to play. You know, like there's maybe four songs that I'm kind of expected to play. So I, I, I usually throw those in there, like Secret Heart and Golden Them Hills and stuff like that. Um, and then the rest is, for me, it's a matter of uh, maybe I'll play something that I didn't play on my last tour. And I'll, I'll try to do at least one from each record, you know, because you never know. Like sometimes at the end of the show, someone will say, hey, you didn't play anything from my favorite one or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I try to do try to pick at least one from each record. And uh, so it's it's hard, you know, because now, you know, uh, I think my sets are usually somewhere between 25 to 30 songs. And I have I have short songs so I can sort of get through, get to quite a few of them. But but I, I don't want to be I'm not Bruce Springsteen, you know. <laughs> I can't do like, three and a half hour show, and you know, <laughs> those are reserved for people who've had actual hits, you know, which yeah. I, haven't, I haven't had. So, because your songs are relatively short, do you think that leaves people wanting more? Sometimes uh, they ask, "Why do do I write these short songs?" And I don't really think about it. It's just. It's my DNA because that's the kind of radio I grew up with. All the songs are like 250 or 350 or something. Yeah. Um, I try to be concise. and uh, But it is nice in terms of, you know, when, when I want to, you know, and I'm trying to squeeze in as many songs as possible before, you know, before the end of the show. I, you know, I, and I, I don't have to do medleys, you know, like some <laughs> people do medleys. And, yeah. Do you ever include any covers during your shows, given that... <laughs> So many people have covered your songs. Well, yeah, I mean, I used to do more covers in the early days when I had less records, but now it's harder to do a cover. Yeah. But I usually do maybe one in the evening uh, on the last tour because Burt Bacharach died. I was doing a Bacharach song. And, um, you know, and, uh, I was also doing a Warren Zevon song some nights recently on in America. So it's just a lot of it is on a whim in a way because uh, I, I, I sit around the house and play cover songs. So I know so many yeah. So, so in some nights, if I'm just, if the mood hits me, I might just jump into something. But, but I I, I try to uh, kind of honor the setlist, and the setlist changes every night too because of people are emailing me requests and stuff. So I try to you know what I mean like adjust every night. But I have a, a basic framework of what the set is. And there's certain places where I can insert a different song and a, throw in a cover song, perhaps. And uh, uh, so, yeah, it's but it is tricky. Uh, the, the more albums you make, to, to do that, you know. I mean, I, I unless you know, because in terms of in my audience, you know, 
I mean, there, there's probably some artists who are really, really big, but who've made some albums that people don't like or something. So they, <laughs> they just avoid those albums altogether. But my, in my case, people, some albums that I didn't even, wasn't sure were any good, someone will say, oh, that's my favorite one or something. You know what I mean? So it's like the people who, who are into me seem to be pretty de devoted that way. So I, yeah, so I do try to, uh, you know, honor each record with, with a, at least one song. And your songwriting has appeared on albums by Michael Bublé and KD Lang and Rod Stewart. Is there any particular one of their versions of your songs that stood out to you? Well, I really liked uh, Leslie Feist's version of Secret Heart when that came out because it sounded, it was so different from my version. It was very like Euro pop or something. Like it was like almost if, you know, Ace of Bass did it or, or something. <laughs> I don't know. It had a cool sound, and whereas most people who have done that song have done it pretty faithfully. Um, Emmy Lou Harris, uh, when she did Hard Bargain, that was a kind of a, a nice surprise because um, you know I, I had over the years that had had my manager send her people some songs to to consider that she never did, and then all of a sudden she does this song, and it's the you know the title of a record, and I hadn't even sent this one, so wow. that was interesting. Um, but yeah, it's just always, uh, it's always really flattering when anyone decides uh, to do that. Now, as well as your music, you published a fairy tale a few years ago called yeah. Dear Life. What made you want to branch out into that? Well, it's just, I had this, um, it, it, you know, this dream, really. It was in the, when I, where I woke up and I had a, like, I had a vision of a, of a fairy tale. I didn't know if it was something I'd seen or... And this was like back in, I don't know, it must have been like 2013 or something. And, you know, I, I walked around thinking about it and I would talk to people. I knew some actors. I remember even talking to the actor John C. Riley about it, you know, and I didn't know if it was a book or if it was a movie or <clears throat> and um so just from talking to people, um, I got a this publishing house reached out to me and asked me to come in for a meeting. And they and they said, well, this is a book, you know, you should write it. And I said, well, I've never written a book before. And, and they said, just go and, you know, just try to write a thousand words a day or whatever. And <laughs> so uh, I was just about to head out on the road. This was, would have been, I guess, uh, 2015. And uh, so I thought, I know every day... <clears throat> While I'm out in the doing these long drives, I'll just I'll just write. So in the van, I'm typing away every day, and finally uh, I finished it. And you know, I was so proud because I never thought I'd ever write a book, and um, so it just sort of came out of nowhere. And I probably will never write another book, but but now I'm in the process of trying to turn it into a movie. You know, because I've Ooh. written written songs for it now. So yeah, that's exciting. It could be, yeah. Yeah. How do you balance your music and writing? projects and possible movies and do they ever influence each other well definitely uh, when i was writing the book i kept imagining the characters breaking out into song just because i'm a songwriter you know so um when i first moved to stratford uh i didn't know anybody so i just started i basically wrote the entire musical the first year as i'm writing my other album too so it was a very prolific time so it just sort of but like i say the book was so uh, uh out of my uh was not in my wheelhouse and I think it's a really good book for a guy who's never written a book before, but I'm sure if I was an actual novelist, I could have made it really like much better. Um, so, you know, but I, I mostly I just I just write songs. I'm not really competing with any other sort of thing. If, yeah. if, the, 
if the movie happens, it, it's going to take other smarter people than me. I'm talking with a you know an animator and an animation director at the moment about it, and just you know it's exciting talking about it. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but I, I hope it will. Well, what's coming up for you after this album, the Vivian Line? Have you got any more plans for future projects and tours? Well, I mean, um, you know, we're just about to head out on tour and, um, in America, and then we're coming over over there where you guys are. After that, I don't know really. I mean, I have new songs I'm working on, but I'm I'm not in a big hurry to record them just yet until I know, you know, who to work with. And you, you know, you usually get um, a feeling, you know, it's time to make a record. And or, uh, but at the moment, I feel kind of up in the air because I don't know if my label in Canada is going to continue with me, and I don't know which direction I should go in terms of the production. So, so I just said in the moment, I'm just rehearsing for my tour. And I'm just uh, every day I, <clears throat> I try to work a little bit on the new songs to, so that when it's time, I'll be ready, you know. Well, this latest album is called The Vivian Line. I take it it's just available in all the usual places these days. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I know it's harder. It's on vinyl and it's harder to find actual records, but I think some record stores will have it. I think you can order it somehow. I mean, I, I'm the, w- the worst person to ask because I don't know how anybody gets their music these days. Um, <laughs> you know, but I think, it, yeah, it uh, should be on all the platforms and whatever. So, yeah. Well, many thanks for talking to us today. It's been great having you on. Thanks, Toby. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Throbbing Pulse of Sound, the Toby Gribbon Show.